Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Okay, um, we're going to read the Word of God. We're reading, we're continuing our series in Acts, Acts um, chapter 9, verse 1 to 19. I'm going to read this to you. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that, that, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered in. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he he regained his strength. Should just pray. God, I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would help me take this simple message that I have today that seems so simple, Lord. And God, I pray that your power would be in it and that you would have a mighty effect on people's lives. God, be with me today as I bring this word. Empower me, Lord, I pray, and I pray that your word would speak directly into people's hearts and lives. Amen. This is quite a simple message that I'm bringing this morning, and I've struggled a little bit over this, looking at it, and there's all sorts I could bring from this passage. It's an amazing story of Paul's conversion. And um, when I was reading through it, there was a couple of things just struck me, and I've lived with this couple of things that have been going over and over in my mind. And um, I just want to tell you a little bit of the history of it. Um, you know, Saul, 
This man Saul, he was breathing out murderous threats, wasn't he? he was, this was one angry man. Um, he, wasn't to co- he wasn't content to just contain Christianity. He wanted to utterly wipe it out. He was so zealous about it that he was like a missionary, wasn't he? He was just you know, passionate about wiping out um, the face of Christianity. He was going to go where he needed to go to rid the earth of, its, of Christianity and its followers. We first read about um, Saul. It talks about this young man, Saul, um, at the stoning of Stephen, where people laid their coats at his feet. Um, So here he is, Saul, this angry man, and he he goes to Damascus. Now, Damascus was located in um, the Roman province of Syria. It had a large Jewish population. It was the nearest city outside of Palestine. It was about 150 miles away, uh, four to six days' walk. But it was also the hub um, of a vast sort of commercial network work, um, of lines of trade um, into different parts, into Persia and Arabia and places like that. Now, in Saul's mind, this um, Christianity, the way, as he called it, the church, if it flourished in Damascus, it was going to quickly spread out to all these other places. And he was utterly determined that he wanted that to be stopped. So he went with the permission and authority of the Sanhedrin to bring followers back to Damascus, um, back to face trial, and either to be acquitted or put to death. Now, when you think about the believers in Damascus, I was thinking about them and um, you know, the word will have got to them that Saul was coming. Now, can you imagine that? For them, you know, they'd be on their knees, wouldn't they? They'd be praying, God, keep us safe, protect us. Let Saul be waylaid. Let him have a horrible accident on the way here. Just wipe him out, send a lightning bolt and get rid of him. Um, you know, they had not got a clue what God was going to do. That God had a plan. They weren't praying God's will, were they? They were just praying get rid of this man. God had an amazing plan and they had no clue what was going to happen. Don't you find it interesting, I found this quite interesting, that Saul is just saved completely independently of the apostles. You know, it was God's initiative to save Saul. Um, They didn't do anything that we know of to bring about his salvation. I don't think they were praying for his salvation. I think they were praying for their own protection. And then we have this amazing account of Saul's conversion. Um, And it shows how, you know, how we plan things, how man plans things and wants things working out, that Saul had a plan, but God had another plan. That Saul had intentions, but God interrupted. You know, Saul was faced with a situation that he absolutely did not expect. He's on that road and this light comes from heaven. You know, God's glory breaks through into the physical world, and Paul saw something of the risen Christ. And he heard a voice. I mean, it must have been absolutely terrifying. And the voice says, you know, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus. What an absolute shocker for Paul. I am Jesus. This man, now he knew of Jesus. He may have even seen Jesus. He knew of him, and he wanted to eradicate everything to do with him. Um, 
But what an absolute shocker for him that all of a sudden he was faced with this utter reality that Jesus was alive, that he was real. He wasn't just a dead man. He was Lord. He was God. The realization as as that dawned on him must have been incredible. And then the realization that he'd been utterly wrong. And what had he done? All of those things he'd done. Well, he learned that Jesus was alive. And then the story goes on. They took him into the city. Um, and it says he didn't um, eat or drink for three days. He must have been faced with utter bewilderment on realizing that Jesus was alive, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that he died for Paul's sins. The reality of it must have been like a sledgehammer. You know, all that he'd stood for was wrong. I, I was thinking about, yeah, I've, do you ever wonder why he was blinded for three days? You know, what was the purpose in that? You know, he was left for three days, wasn't he, to face himself. His eyes were closed. He couldn't look at anything else. All he could see was inward, you know, and I don't think he liked what he saw. <laughs> he had to take a good look at himself. But, you know, this story of Paul, is, of Saul, that became Paul, is a story of surrender, it's a story of from going from once saying absolutely not, absolutely no, to saying yes. And um, this, this legalistic man was buried and a, a new liberator was born. He was never, ever the same again. And neither was the church and neither was the world. Because God had a plan, an amazing plan. And, you know, sometimes we think that God's plans are wrapped up around us, about our situations, our circumstances, our needs. You know, we see ourselves at the center when God wants us to see him at the center. He's got a far bigger plan than us. And actually, God's plans for us are far bigger than us. You know, I believe that he looks... He looks through history and through generations, and he has generational plans. You know, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, when he made a decision to become a Christian, that affected the generations, and that brought about my salvation. God's plans are far bigger than just our circumstances and what we think now and what we've taken up with now. His plans are far, far bigger. Um, you know, God stopped Paul in his tracks. He gave him an utter revelation of his sin and of Christ's love. Um, his world was amazingly changed. Our worlds were amazingly changed when we come to God. And sometimes we look at stories like this and we just think, wow, what an amazing thing to happen. That didn't happen to me. But God brought us in, didn't he? He brought us in. It might not have been like that, but he utterly, utterly changed our worlds for a purpose. Yeah, and I just think this picture of um, Saul, it's a huge picture. It's this picture of surrender, and it's a picture of saying yes to God. And that's really what my main point is today, about saying yes to God. And um, another person who said yes to God in this story was Ananias. Um, he was very reluctant when you read what he said. You know, look, I've heard of Paul. I know what he's like. I ain't going there. But God said to him, go. <laughs> Get yourself away and do what I've asked you to do. Have you ever had a situation like that in your life where God's spoken to you and asked you to do something and you're like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. I remember um, 
when we were 18, um, when I was going out with Paul, we went to a Christian event, and he said to me afterwards, um, I feel God's called me into full-time ministry. I said, well, that's very nice for you. Yeah. <laughs> you can't call me. You know, I ain't going to be a pastor's wife. I know what pastor's wives put up with. You know, they never have any money. They never see their husbands. Um, <laughs> they're at everyone's beck and call, and they wear second-hand clothes. <laughs> now, I can say that there were times in ministry that all of those things were true for us at one point. But there was another time after we were married, and um, this obviously, you know, continued in Paul's heart. And sometimes he talked, I'd like to go to Bible college. I ain't doing that. And um, we went away to a conference, and we were sat in different places, and... Um, I just felt God speak to me about it and say, you know, you've got to listen to me. And after the service, Paul came up to me and said, I, I need to talk to you. I feel God said to me. And I'm like, no, 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 I need to talk to you. No, I need to talk to you. <laughs> and then we had this conversation. And at that point in time, I'm like, okay, I think this is what God's saying. We're going to do it. And um, I didn't want to listen. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. God makes things uncomfortable until you do listen. When you say no, it's an awful thing to say no to God because he'll either use somebody else and you'll be left out of the equation or he will make things so uncomfortable for you <laughs> until you say yes. You know, I was thinking about the cost of saying no. How dare we even contemplate saying no to God? It's a huge thing, isn't it? How dare we even think about that? Well, Jesus didn't say no. He's our example, isn't he? Um, but I was looking at somebody who did say no, Jonah. <laughs> Jonah, you know, he counted the cost of saying no to God. He ran away from where God had asked him to go. He deliberately disobeyed God. And he was about to learn that you can't outrun God <laughs> because there are consequences if you do. And God sent a storm. God also sent provision in that storm. He sent the provision of the fish because God had a plan and Jonah wasn't going to get away with running. No, he, God wanted Jonah in Nineveh. Um, and when he said no to God, it cost Jonah God's perfect place for him. God had a place where God wanted him to be. And initially it cost him that. You know, it, it saying no cost him God's peace. Have you ever been there? It's not a good place to be. And it cost him also God's purpose at that point in time. When you go back and look at Saul, you know, Saul was utterly venting his anger. Um, and the anger, I believe, came from the fruit of him saying no to God because I think God was at work in his life. And in um, New King James' version of that um, particular scripture, it talks about... Um, God says to him, Jesus says to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And goads were like cattle prods used to steer cattle. And, um, you know, if they went out of the way, they would get prodded and it would be painful. And, you know, Jesus said that to, to Saul on the road there. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So actually, you know, I've been at work in your life. I've been talking to you. And, you know, I'm, I, now you're going to get, you know, you're going to get it now. You, 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 <laughs> my attention is on you and you need to listen. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It is hard for us when we say no to God. You know, it's not always... 
bad intention when we say no, but we're saying to him, you know, my way is better than your way. Sometimes we say to God, surely that can't be what you're asking. Can't mean that. You don't really mean that you want me to get baptised by full immersion. I was, you know, I was christened as a baby. You don't really mean that. You don't really mean that I need to tithe. You don't really mean that I need to be generous. You know, but what's the fruit of saying no? You miss out on what God has for you. And, you know, the root of it is, it's selfishness and lack of faith. And I was just looking at people who'd said yes to God and was amazingly um, encouraged by this. But when you read this, you might think, well, that ain't me. But, you know, Jim Elliott was a missionary killed in Ecuador in 1956. I'm sure some of you all know the story of him trying to reach an, an ind indigenous Indian tribe. And his story is fascinating. But another story that I probably know a little bit more about was in June... Um, 1978, in Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, in the Vumba, there, was, um, there were 11 Elam missionaries, and um, two of them were home on furlough visiting in the UK. Um, the other nine, along with four of their children, were massacred. Um, one of their babies was three weeks old. Um, they were beaten, they were stabbed, the women were molested and mutilated, and they were all hacked to death. It was a horrendous thing. Um, one of the missionaries who was home on furlough, her name was Joy Bath, and Paul and I knew her, and her amazing story is she survived that, but she was a single woman, a nurse, and she later went on and died of AIDS um, from being infected, working uh, as a midwife out there. And you just think, these people said yes to God, and it cost them their lives. It was, you know... When we say yes to God, that's not what we're expecting. When God says to me, I want you to say yes to this, I'm like, no. Or I'm like, okay, but it's all right if that doesn't happen to me. It's all right if you keep me safe. But God's saying, you need to say yes, no matter what the cost. Now, when I've gone through this over the last couple of weeks, I've found that really hard. And I'm like, surely you don't mean that. I've said yes lots of times. Um, there was, a few years ago, I listened to a podcast of somebody in, uh, in my car one day, and the guy was preaching, he was talking about when he first was preaching, and went through the whole thing of how a struggle it had been for him, and, um, and he said one line that absolutely hit me in my spirit, and I've always remembered it, he just said, at least I didn't say no. And um, this week when I was away at uh, Cherish, I text Paul on, on Friday, I think it was, and I'm just like, I can't do this on Sunday. I don't know whether I'm saying the right thing. I'm, you know, I'm not confident in what I'm saying. And um, he sent me a text message, and, and this was it. I know you're worried because you like to th have things all sorted, but remember that God has gifted you and called you to this. Don't forget to add some confidence and a little of God's anointing into the mix. Now, I'm not reading that out, you know, to, to make you think, oh, you know, that's good, or she's good, or whatever. Saying yes to God can be a hard thing. Standing here on the platform, for me, is not an easy thing. But God spoke to me years ago and said, I need you to say yes to what I've got for you. And that yes can be really hard. 
And even standing here today, this is hard for me to say, but at least I didn't say no. You know, when Paul said to me, when Paul said to me, um, you know, a few years ago, I feel God's called me back into full-time ministry. And when we came to Chowdine, I'd learned, I think, to say yes to God in some things. And I thought, I've got to say yes to this because I know God has an amazing plan, not only for our lives, but for the church here. But, you know, I do this afraid. And, and this was one of the things that, we, that was said at Cherish you know, sometimes we, ha- we, say yes to, we, we say no to God because we're afraid. But, you know, doing things afraid helps you overcome your fear. You know, you overcome fear by doing something that scares you. Yeah. You know, you might be thinking, well, you know, saying yes to God, I don't want anything to happen to me. And that's never going to happen to me because I'm not intending putting myself in any danger in a foreign land. That's special people called of God, given extra special powers and courage. You know, what on earth is all that about. But you know, the yes that those missionaries said, the yes that Paul, the Apostle Paul said, the yes that Ananias said, is the same word, has the same meaning. It is a yes of laying down our wants, our plans, not knowing where it might lead, not hanging on to our own agenda. It's a yes regardless of what will happen. You know, The question from God, I think, is, you know, will you? The the yes holds the same power as it did for Paul and Ananias. It's a yes of surrender. Um, Centuries of Lazare, however you pronounce it, wrote the following. You sent me off to fetch one of Father's big glasses and had me put my little thimble by the side of it. Then you filled them both with water and asked me which I thought was fuller. I had to admit that one was just as full as the other because neither neither of them could hold any more. That was the way you helped me grasp how it was that the least have no cause to envy the greatest. Ordinary people say yes to God and do both ordinary and extraordinary things as a result. I believe that you created, or I wrote this down, I thought it was great, you created for an adventure, yeah, an adventure of trust, yeah. What might that adventure look like for you? You know, what might saying yes look like in your life? It might mean opening up your home to other people. It might mean being an encouragement to someone who needs it. It might mean coming early on a Sunday morning to set up. It might mean volunteering in Sunday school. It might mean feeding the hungry, clothing the needy. Your yes has got to mean something. Yeah. You can't just say yes in your heart and do nothing. Your yes has got to mean something. You know, we disqualify ourselves. But, you know, God, God's plan had a plan for Saul. Can you imagine if Ananias had said no? to God and hadn't gone. Now, God would probably have used somebody else and we'd never have heard of Ananias. But he said yes. And him going to Saul and explaining what Jesus had said had an incredible effect. You know, your saying yes might mean a small thing, but it might have a huge rippling effect in this church, in this town, you know, in this world. God has got an incredible plan for you.
sometimes we can be people who just, you know, our automatic reaction is to say no to something because we either don't want to do it because we just don't like it or we think we're not able or capable. Um, but it's in our yes that we're able to cooperate with God, you know, for our own good and for other people as well. Um, I'm just um, really thinking about, I was thinking about our young people, and maybe we don't hear it as much now, but certainly when I was younger and went to conferences, you know, you would hear messages like this about saying yes to God, you know, saying yes to doing something for God, and maybe we don't hear that enough now, but do you know something? I know that God has a call on people's lives. I know that God has a call on our young people's lives. And you know how I know that? I know that because I'm nearly 50, and God has not equipped me to reach their generation. You know, God has a call on their lives, on your lives, to reach your generation, if you'll say yes. Yeah, we need um, a generation that's going to rise up and say yes to God, but every one of us needs to say yes to God. And I said this was a simple message. It is a simple message in that I just felt God speak to me and say, you know, you need today to make a decision to say yes in your hearts to what God is doing. The things that you've been saying no to, you need to rethink that. You need to look at it again and you need to think, I'm going to say yes to God. I don't know what that's going to cost me. I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm going to say yes. And one day I'm going to say, at least I didn't say no. I said yes. And because of that, this is what God is done. Amen. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.